The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Well, my family is in a little bit of the uh, name game going on right now. You see, and this is uh, pretty pumped about this, but uh, one grandchild number three is like any day now, any minute. I think she's actually due on Friday, this coming Friday or somewhere this coming week. So it could be just any minute now. Now, uh, and then I got another one, grandchild number four is coming in another month. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're, we're filling up something. Uh, what we're doing, it's not the bank account, but, uh, but we're filling up something there. But uh, the, um, my son and his wife kind of break the cardinal rule uh, with kids because they tell you their names before they're born. I don't, I don't know if you've ever done that. That's not a good thing to do because before the baby's born, if you tell them a name that they think is weird, they'll tell you it. Well, you know, we're going to name her so-and-so. Why? Uh, why would you name her that? And, but once the baby's born, you can't do that. You know what I mean? Her name is, oh, how lovely. No matter how weird it is, uh, you have to go with that. So their name, and they told us this months ago, and I've, I've processed it now, so don't boo when, they, when I say this. I've processed it. I really like it. Their name, our granddaughter, is going to be Phoebe Joy. Okay, oh, yeah, I got a, oh, okay, that's not too bad. Actually, when they started, the only Phoebe that I could think of was Friends, and I just, I couldn't get that out of my head, and I was like, no, no, no. But uh, now Phoebe Joy's been kind of fun, and it does sound like a fun name, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, this is going to be a little sweetheart. Uh, We're excited about that. Now, my daughter, she's, you know, woman of mystery here. She will not tell us probably until the kid's three years old. And we've decided to name her this. Uh, she's, she's a little different there. But, uh, but we're pretty pumped about that. We've been going through and thinking about different names. I always thought, too, that the man who was the pastor here before me, his name was Thaddeus Stout. Doesn't that sound smart? I mean, honestly, the, just the name Thaddeus Stout. Hello, I'm Thaddeus Stout. Uh, he just, and I think he is a very smart man. And then you got Dan Thomas. It's just so boring. Uh, maybe I'll change my name. I don't know. It just doesn't you know, say too much. Well, this right here is a name for you, okay? Uh, this is a name. I'm going to guess a lot of you have maybe have heard it. If you were here we, 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 uh, when we were working on Hebrews back in December, you may have heard us mention it. It's not a real common Bible name by any stretch. Uh, I don't know of anybody that said, we're going to name our kid Melchizedek. Uh, and uh, you might be thinking, you know, okay, well, what, what's this all about? Well, we're going to dig into uh, the significance of this character. Uh, we'll call him a man of mystery. He is mentioned three places in Scripture. One is uh, in the book of Hebrews quite a bit, which we're looking at today. Uh, he first showed up in Genesis chapter 14, and we'll, we'll go back over that story in just a couple minutes here, a little bit of when he first showed up. And then he's also mentioned, I believe it's the 110th Psalm, which is his prophesying about Jesus. And it just says, and, and here's a phrase, it says that Jesus is a priest in the order of this guy here. In other words, he's like Melchizedek. Okay, so, uh, so we're going to Take a little look at that. Um, As I mentioned, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to read uh, a good portion of that in a couple minutes. But to start off with, I just want to kind of give a little preview. So just to mention a couple verses from the early going about this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Now, uh, called him a man of mystery. Uh, There is great theological debate about uh, Melchizedek, whether he was, the Bible says actually in in our passage in Hebrews, it says that he has no 
uh, no record of his parents, no ancestry. Uh, so some people are like, well, that's because he was, uh, he was a pre-incarnate Christ. He was actually Christ in the Old Testament. And some would say, no, that's just we don't know who his family is. And that debate has raised. We're not really going to get into that. We, we know a couple things about him for sure, though. His name, first of all, means king of righteousness. And then he is also called the uh, prince of Salem, which is the idea of peace. So king of righteousness and king of peace. Uh, I want you to kind of hold on to those ideas as we go in. And then the other thing I wanted us to see about him from these verses, it says, now, this verse number four, see how great this man was uh, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. Okay, so Ab- Abraham paid him a tithe. What happened here is there was, a, in, back in Abraham's time, there was a bunch of warlords who had taken over several different cities, and one of them was the city of Sodom, where... Uh, Abraham's nephew lived. So Abraham was like, okay, we're going to put an end to this. He got, I believe it was 350 men, and they went out after these warlords, and they defeated them soundly, uh, recaptured everything that was taken from these cities, including the people, and as they were bringing them back, they are met by this guy, Melchizedek, and Abraham pays him a tithe. So the Bible is kind of pointing out here, look at this other verse, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. He pays him a tithe, Melchizedek blesses him. So what I'm saying is, this, um, all that to say this, Melchizedek is kind of a big deal, okay? Even if you have not heard of him, you know, if I were to start off by saying, you know, how many of you have heard of Moses? Yeah, everybody's heard of Moses. Uh, Abraham, oh yeah, we've heard of Abraham. How many Melchizedek? Not so many. But I want you to understand that Melchizedek was actually... Um, if you want to say this superior as far as how he was viewed, uh, to them he is more important because Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, the other priests were focused more on the law, and what is really compared in here, and we'll see this when we go through here, is Jesus to the law or to keeping the law. And we'll see that real soon here in the next couple of verses. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to read from verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, okay, for under that the people received the law, if they could keep, keep the Old Testament law, what the, uh, what the priests were, were sharing, everybody has to keep this law, follow all their sacrifices and everything like that, what further need, hey, hey, don't miss this, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Now, say, if you just read through that, not remember who that other priest is after the order of Melchizedek. It's Jesus. And what this is saying is very simple. If you can be made right with God, if you can find peace with God, if you can find forgiveness for sins, if you can achieve perfection through keeping the law, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. Okay? Don't miss that. That's so crucial. You know, sometimes we're like, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, and I, uh, I, I want to trust him and believe in him, or I'll take this other route. Okay, there's other ways. Now think about that. If we could, by obeying the laws, being good enough, clean ourselves up enough uh, to have forgiveness and to know God, very simply, Jesus would not have had to come. He was the only way. You see, so that's, that's why I'll preach that often is just say that over and over again because we want to think, oh, no, there's a bunch of different ways to God. You know, if I could do it another way, if religion could get me there, we wouldn't need Jesus. Basically what that's saying, if I could be good enough. But what the Bible says is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And guess who fits into the all category? I do. I have sinned. And as good as I want to think myself to be sometimes, I'm nowhere near God's standard of holiness. And I have to tell you, neither are you. 
We cannot be good enough to measure up to God's standard. So we needed this, this priest. We needed Jesus. What further need would there be for another, okay, rather than one named after the order of Aaron, okay? What it's saying is all the other priests came through the family line of Aaron. We wouldn't have needed this other one, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessary a change in the law as well. We'll come back and talk about this idea of change here in a minute. But for the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. Basically, if I could sum this up, all the priests had come through the tribe of Levi, but not this priest. And that's what it's saying about Jesus. No, you've heard Jesus called the Lion of Judah. Jesus came through the tribe of Judah. He didn't get his priesthood uh, through uh, his ancestry. In fact, it's going to tell us that in the next verse there. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, not on based on who his ancestors are, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I just been really flying here so far, but I, I wanted to get to this. And, and if you're like, so far, what is he yakking about this Melchizedek and everything like that? Bottom line, I want you to remember is that Jesus is a different kind of priest, if you want to say it like that. He is different than the priests that they're used to as we really explore that. It says he didn't get his priesthood through his ancestry concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. I love that phrase when I saw that. It jumped out at me. This idea is one of the main things about the new covenant, the new life we have in Christ is understand because of that, we have the power of this indestructible life in our lives because Jesus takes up residence in our lives. And I want us to gravitate towards that and think about that idea for just a few minutes, the power of the indestructible life. See, this is one of the main features, if you will, of the new covenant. See, for many people, again, a lot of people are just thinking, and, and you hear this in response all the time in movies and everything else, a lot of people are thinking the whole key to whether or not you go to heaven, the whole key to whether or not you have eternal life and whether or not God is happy with you has to do with your behavior. Okay, and that's what most people believe. If I'm good enough, which raises an awfully big question, exactly how good would you have to be? And the answer is, we have a perfect God, so you would have to be perfect. And we can't reach perfection through keeping the law. But then we get, even in our, if you want to call this church world that we come to, and uh, we still get playing the idea sometimes that uh, the bottom line is, this is all about me trying harder and doing better. Okay, I have to, you know, I have to have some rules that I live by because now I go to church, so I don't do this anymore or this anymore, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to live by the rules, and we get playing that game. But it is more important that we understand this idea that inside of us, Jesus said, I give you new life. So inside of us is this power of an indestructible life. Now, let me try to explain here for a second. Somebody is uh, battling with an addiction, fill in the blank, whatever the addiction is. Okay, I think it is wise that they follow some rules. Okay, first of all, I'd say, you know, if it's alcohol, go to AA or Celebrate Recovery uh, and get some help. You know, follow some rules. Follow some guidelines that they'll give you, some things to help you. Follow, follow the rules that, that they have. That makes good sense. Uh, I would never discourage you from that. Uh, someone battles a pornography addic- addiction. Uh, they definitely should have some accountability. I know uh, a lot of guys have gone to flip phones, you know, because, hey, I'm going to have that. All those things are good. I mean, th- those are good things. Have some rules in your life. 
Um, having trouble with marriage. Well, again, I, I want to get counseling. I want to get some specific steps I can work on. I'm going to go do this. All those things are good that you have different rules. I was reminded when I was a teacher, uh, I decided that, that we needed to have a little, now it was a Christian school, so we couldn't have a, a pool of bedding. Uh, but on the NCAA tournament, I thought we'd have some fun. So I said, hey, we're going to do our NCAA picks. I said, whoever wins, I'm going to take them to lunch. Okay, now I never envisioned for a second the person that would win. It was a first grade teacher that we had that was pretty sure nobody that knows her would ever, older than dirt already. Uh, and uh, she, she was, uh, and uh, sure enough, she blew everybody away. She, she, she won. And the funny thing about this is, uh, afterwards I thought, okay, so I have to take her to lunch. That's kind of interesting. She writes me this real sweet little note and it says, I just want you to know that my husband and I have a strict rule that I do not go to lunch with other men. <laughs> I was like, shoo! Uh, <laughs> thank, th thankful for that. I wasn't really looking forward to that little dining experience anyway. Uh, but uh, she says, I don't go out and eat with other men because, yeah, because I'm married. Obviously, I want to be faithful to my, my husband. Now, something like that, I think that's a Billy Graham rule that he always said he wouldn't go out. I think that's a good rule. And uh, you will not see me dining unless it's my wife or my daughter, or now my granddaughter, Phoebe Joy. And yeah. Uh, but uh, you will not see me dining alone with a woman in a, in a restaurant like that. I think that's a good rule. But what I want to get to is this. Just the rule, just the rules I say is, again, they're important and they're good, but that's not real our, where our real power comes from. Okay, that last song we sang, Perfect Adam, it was, draw me close. Draw me close. Help me to know you. And Okay, so you know, going back to my marriage here, yeah, it's good that I have different rules about, boy, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this because I want to protect my marriage. That's good, but the best thing I can do is just work on the, my marriage itself, that relationship. I mean, that's going to be the key beyond anything else, beyond you know, any little rules that I put in place, is just having that right, right, right kind of relationship. And this is why um, I, I'll say to you every chance I get, dads, the very best thing you can do for your kids is to walk with God. Husbands, the very best thing you can do for your wife is to walk with God yourself. Wives, the very best thing you can do is to walk with God. Pastor, the very best thing I can do for this church is to walk with God. Why? Because more than anything, it's not about the rules and the things I do and the steps I take and the laws that I keep. It is about the power of this indestructible life that Jesus gives us. Okay, if we can grab a hold of that. A second thing, well, let, let's go ahead and read a little bit more of the Scripture. Um, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Don't, don't miss that right there. The commandment, the law, because it is weak and useless. In other words, the law by itself is not going to make us perfect, and the law by itself and keeping the rules is not ultimately going to make the difference in our life. It is the power of that indestructible life, for the law has made what? Nothing perfect, okay? But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, okay? It is a better thing through which we draw near to God, and this is piggybacking on what we just said, but that, that idea of intimacy with God, okay, that idea of drawing close to Him, uh, this is really the key. See, everything about the law tells us that we're dirty, okay? We hear the law, and we know that we've done wrong. And many times that in being dirty, I also grow distant from God. So the law produces 
if you want to say it like this, dirty and distance. Okay? But Christ produces clean and closeness. Okay, let's go back to law for a second. Remember when the law was given? Ten commandments, who went up the mountain? Moses by himself. Nobody else was allowed. They actually marked off around the mountain. Nobody else can come close. There's a distance there. When you think about even in the Old Testament law, the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies, nobody else dare go in there. He can go in there once a year. He's got to go through the purification rites to go in. Nobody else can go that. Everything about God is almost like don't touch, stay away, and everything like that. It is that idea that is convincing us and showing us our need for a Savior, but it is uh, telling us that we're dirty. And therefore, we need to stay distance from God, distant from God, for he is holy and I am not holy. However, what Jesus does Instead, like I said, instead of dirty and distance, the, the message that he's giving us is clean and close. And I want you to remember, and maybe you don't know this, so let, let, me, let me tell you. When Jesus died on the cross, there were a few specific things that happened, but one of them I want to call your attention to. The Bible says that there is this veil in the temple. This was to, to separate uh, people really from God. The high priest could go in there once a year, but this veil at this point, some of you know what happened to it. It was ripped, okay? And the Bible says it was ripped from top to bottom. <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. We used to have this guy come uh, for a youth revival thing that we had, and he did feats of strength. His name was Paul Wren. He, I mean, some of those things they do really are insane. I mean, one guy actually, he used to break ice with his head. And, uh, he, well, that's not funny, but he actually had problems because he broke a lot of ice with his head. Imagine that. Uh, this Paul Wren, I'm, I'm sure he had dental problems because this guy, a couple of you might remember this, uh, he used to, he'd load up a school bus with kids and then he had this thing that he would put in his mouth and, and, and he would pull the school bus full of kids across the parking lot with, with his teeth. You know, pulling it like that. I mean, it was a big, you know, any weird i know but the other thing that he would always do one night his feat of strength was to rip a phone book in half now for those of you who don't know what a phone book is um uh, google it when you get home i don't know what else to tell you but uh phone book he would always take a phone book and he'd rip it in half the one thing i always noticed about old paul wren though he would start from the loose end of the pages a whole lot easier you don't start with the binding well the cool thing about this curtain being ripped it was it started at the binding, and it was ripped, kind of just to say, hey, only God can rip this open. And what God was doing there in ripping open that curtain over the set was inviting us to come. Draw me close, we sang today. Draw me close, anything like that. Because what we're looking at in this new covenant is no longer what the law can tell us, which is that we are dirty and should remain distant, but that God will clean us up and draw us close. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Let's, let's go on a little bit more as far as into the scriptures here. So the invitation we have then is to come boldly to this intimacy with God. But then he says this, and it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were, such with, with, um, were made such without an oath. Okay, let me, the rest will clarify that a little bit. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That makes Jesus the guarantor of the better covenant. Okay? I want to talk about this idea that Jesus is the guarantor of that which is guaranteed. Um, I don't know about you. I, I don't always have great success with uh, guarantees. Like, you know, bought a new home and the homeowner's guarantee would always just run out right before the, you know, the, the appliances start to go. 
Um, I, I remember back, the last new car we bought was back in like 2001. We bought a Hyundai Santa Fe, and the big thing was 100,000 mile warranty. Sure enough, 101,000, things started breaking. Uh, you know, I, I've never had great, but uh, what, he, what he wants us to know here is that this new covenant, this idea of me cleaning you up, I'm the one who puts the guarantee on that. Okay, I'm the one who, who, uh, who tells you that this is not going to change no matter what. And my salvation, my relationship to God is going to be there at the end because Jesus is going to be there at the end. And say, wait a minute, Pastor, maybe, uh, maybe uh, God's going to change his mind because you're talking about a new covenant, so there must have been an old covenant. So if God changed his mind once, could he change his mind again and change the deal? Well, that's what I'm saying here. That can't happen because if you ask God, could you change your mind again, uh, he would tell you this, never did, never will. God never did change his mind. Everything in the Old Testament about the Old Covenant, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, where God first gives the promise of the Messiah, the Messianic Covenant, pointed to Jesus. In Genesis chapter 15 about Abraham, it talks about the idea that through him all the world uh, would be blessed through his seed, and it's a singular seed. It is specifically one person. It was a prophecy about Jesus. Uh, from Moses, everything that they did in keeping the law, all the sacrifices were to point to that one perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who would lay down His life for us. Everything that they did as far as the priest was concerned and all the rituals that they had to go through was to point to this high priest, this perfect high priest. God never did change for, every, by the way, the Davidic covenant, the covenant given to David was the same thing. The king, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. So what I'm saying is this has never changed. Everything has always been to point to Jesus Christ. And it never will change for it is guaranteed by the one who cannot lie. Here we go. The former priests were many in numbers. I don't know why this phrase cracks me up. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. <laughs> I don't like that terminology. Why'd you quit? Well, I died. Uh, that kind of prevented me. I couldn't go on any further. But it says all these other priests that they had, uh, they had to get a new one all the time, and this new one had to go through purification ritual. Uh, and, uh, and that was an office that was changing all the time. Look at verse number 24. But he who holds the priesthood, what's that next word? Permanently, that's Jesus. Because he does what? He continues how long? Forever. That's what I mean. This is guaranteed by him. Consequently, he is, oh, it, okay, ready? If you checked out, if you're not listening, if I'm boring you today, you got to get this verse, okay? If you take nothing else, you got to get verse number 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. Okay, we've got, we got to read that again. Process that. He is able to save completely to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's, it's never end. He always lives. He's always there. He's always, if you will, pleading my case. And though I may sin again, uh, he is still there uh, as my intercessor, making intercession for me. He always lives. <laughs> what a verse. There is no such thing as a Jesus 2.0 coming down the pipe. Okay, he was perfect in all that he did. He perfected salvation. He completed salvation. Okay, he's done. He completed the work. 
We don't, it doesn't need improved on. There needs to be no new covenant or anything like that. For this covenant lasts forever and it is guaranteed by him. Now let me talk to you about just one more thing or three aspects of it. But um, how we can live this new co covenant life. We have this better hope. We have this new life inside of us, this indestructible life inside of us. How can we live it? There, there's a few ways it'll show up. One of them is it'll show up in a righteous walk. In that story that I mentioned back in the book of Genesis, okay, remember I said Abraham went out and he conquered uh, those warlords and their people and everything like that, and he was bringing back the spoils of that war, and he was bringing back the people who had been captive. Uh, he's coming back with those, and uh, the, the Bible says that the king of Sodom went out to greet him. Now, the king of Sodom is, is kind of a picture of evil. It was at that time. But he comes out to, eat him and, uh, to meet him, and right away, do you know who steps in instead? Melchizedek, the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And he kind of like steps in. Hold on a second. And I just wanted to think about that whole idea that when evil comes our way, when temptation comes our way, uh, that uh, we have this new life. It is not about, you know, just white knuckle and, and man, I can beat this thing and then you're going to overpower this sin. Have you ever noticed how seldomly that works long term? Honestly, I mean, how many new resolutions people come up with that, well, I'm going to do better about this. I mean, and I, I don't mean this in any way nasty. I, I really don't. But just realistically, I want to how many people say, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to start going to church again. And they do for a while. I don't know how to say it. You know, I'm going to plug in again, but it lasts for a while. Or I'm going to stop this, or I'm going to improve this, or I'm going to be a better husband, or I'm going to be a better wife, or I'm going to uh, whatever, or I'm going to kick this habit or whatever like that. And we come up with these different resolutions, and they just plain don't last in, in so many situations because it is all about that law again that wouldn't make anybody perfect. It's all about I'm going to keep the rules. I'm going to do better. What I want to talk about is knowing this new life, this indestructible life inside of us that will produce a righteous walk. And I, I want us to understand who we are in Him. Okay? We often use the expression, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you want to say that, okay, that makes good sense. I, am a, I was a sinner. God has saved me by His grace. But I really would like you to see yourself as more than just a sinner saved by grace. I'd like you to see yourself as a saint who sometimes sins. Because the Bible says when we come to Jesus, uh, for forgiveness and repentance to, uh, to trust Him as our Savior, that He instills in us His righteousness. And I am not stepping out of line to call myself even a saint, okay, and to call any of you whose faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ to call you a saint also, because that's what the Scripture calls us. So I am, if I could operate out of this sense, this new life of this is who I am, this is my identity now. And I love to do that when temptation comes my way. I love to use that phrase. No, that's not who I am anymore. Okay? I want that because God, with this new instructable life, is giving us a righteous walk. He's also giving us a peaceful walk. When... Um, my wife and I um, were young young couple. We had some neighbors. But uh, let, let me back up and go like this. When I do a wedding, um, you know, weddings can be very different today. Been any different? In fact, I got three on the schedule for this year, which I'm pretty pumped about. I kind of like to do weddings, funerals. <laughs> 
please don't give me any of those to do. Uh, just hang in there. Uh, but uh, actually, I've already done three funerals this year. But I've got three weddings on the schedule. Uh, we, and uh, two of them are at Barnes and one's at a beach. Uh, as you know, and then that's a little different. You know, today than a lot of us grew up in, you know, you just went to church, got a wedding, and and uh, truth is, I'm good with that. In fact, I'm really good with the beach wedding. <laughs> I'm kind of excited about that one because uh, it's in Florida. But uh, the, uh, but you know, there are a lot of things about a wedding you could say are kind of negotiable parts of a wedding. You know, um, whether you're going to write your own vows or do you know more traditional vows. You know, whether you're going to have music, whether you're going to do the unity candle or the uh, the sand that you pour together. You're, or do that, uh, or seen that, or the knot, you know, that you tie up and everything like that. I saw the last one we went to had these, like, two candles that they put together. It was kind of cool. But then you didn't have to worry about the new flame going out, which I was like, oh, the new flame went out. Uh, that, that's no good. So, but, uh, but anyway, the uh, one thing, though, that I always say I'm not, I'm not negotiable on it in a wedding is I want to talk about the idea that the relationship into which they're entering is a covenant. Okay, I always want to emphasize that uh, God chose to use marriage as a picture of his relationship to his people. But I want them to know that it's not just a, hey, we're going to give this a try and see how it makes it. I want to I want to say this is a covenant before God into which you enter. Okay, when we see for me, too, I, I was thinking about that. Um, I mean, my wife and I, like every other couple, has not had a perfect marriage, but. I can say this, and I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to be like that. I mean, I'm thankful for this, and this is far beyond what I deserve. But I have never once in the 38 years we've been married thought, I think she's going to leave me. Okay? And I'm sorry, and seriously, I somewhat apologize when I say that because I know many of you experience the hurt that goes with that. But, uh, but I've never, uh, I've, I've always had known that she's committed to the covenant. Uh, I don't know exactly what I'd have to do for her to say, forget it. And I'm, you know, I'm not interested in finding out. But, uh, but because of that covenant relationship, that does create a great deal of peace in our relationship. Is, is that making sense? Just because I know that. I know she's not looking around. Okay, I know she's not thinking, eh, maybe this was a mistake. She's probably thought that a lot of times. Uh, but she's never thought, but I think she's thought this is a mistake I'm going to have to live with. Uh, but to, if you think about that, that idea of understanding this covenant relationship with him. Remember Melchizedek had the name uh, King of Righteousness, also the name King of Peace. And when we understand the certainty of our relationship, of that covenant, it brings a peace into our lives. We're not worried that, and this is very important. We're going to get back to this in a second, but we're not worried that, uh, hey, if I screw up, God's not going to love me anymore. Okay, we understand the covenant relationship there. Let me go uh, quickly to the third walk that we have, and this goes to the song that we sang just ahead of time, but the, a close walk. Um, you know, back just using my marriage as an illustration again, uh, Francis and I have talked about this idea as we have seen many couples in their older years that have survived marriage. Okay, uh, we were talking to some folks recently. They're talking about a couple that's in their 80s. They really don't talk at all. They don't communicate at all, but they've survived. They've stayed together. Um, and I think a lot of times that is the goal and it's kind of enough. And we've kind of talked about that. We have no desire just to survive marriage. We'd like to have a marriage that is thriving and that there's communication and talk and everything like that. But I want you to think about that in regards to your walk with the Lord. <laughs> it's a covenant. It's a done deal. But is this a relationship 
where you we are sh- where you are th- thriving and this and this love relationship is growing again you know a song we sang had a lot of those words in there just saying hey this is the relationship i want with you i want to be closer to you well god has cleaned us up and invited us to come close to him through the blood of jesus christ when we, when we ask him forgiveness but is that something that is taking place in our life very simply here okay real simply this is the over the years that I have watched Christians, this is the thing that's missing more than anything. I have a, I've known a lot of people who are good people and they're playing by the rules and they're doing the right things, but I have known very few people who would say, you know, I really just love walking with Jesus every day and talking to Him. For some reason, this is, this is hard for us. We really struggle with it. So I wanted to give you, if I can, a couple of things that I believe the Lord has really used to help me. One of them, very simply, is just being intentional about your relationship. I want to encourage you to do that. And I've been saying that lately. Have, have a, spe- a specific plan as you can as far as when I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And I'm going to spend time in prayer. You say, well, prayer is really hard for me. Just start talking to God. That could be the greatest beginning of a prayer. God, prayer is really hard for me right now, and here's why. You know, but but start with that because I here, here's just a simple truth. There are very very few people who have a vibrant walking personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Even though we talk about it forever, even though He has cleaned us up and given us access, so we don't need a priest. Uh, we can go directly to Him. It is so often missing. So first of all, I will, I do want to encourage you to to be intentional about it. Have something specific that you're working on. But I want to throw this at you too. When you do that. Make sure that you include grace or include giving yourself grace. Here's why. Here's what's happened in my life. Here's what I see happen in people's lives all the time. I am going to do that. I'm going to read my Bible. Okay? I plan to do that. I plan to pray every day. And you do for a day or two or three or four or sometimes weeks or sometimes even months. But then you start to miss and you think, oh, man, I've blown it again. And you just kind of fall off completely. And I really want to encourage you to give yourself grace. Let me, let me explain something. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to the teenagers here on Sunday night. And I said, the same stat I gave you last week in church, that they say like 15% of pastors claim to have a regular walk with the Lord. Okay, 15%. Okay, because they get busy about everything else. And as far as actually spending time with the Lord, that's missing. So when I said that, a young lady sitting down here, some of the teenagers here, you might remember, she said, do you? <laughs> Good question. Okay. And I answered the question, and I said, well, yes, now. In other words, I'm doing pretty good right now as far as that goes. I want to be as transparent as I can about this. I have my ups and downs still. I'm going to fall on the Lord for four and a half decades, and I still have some. De- but here's something that in the last probably eight years that has Totally, two things. One is uh, journaling has really helped me. I mentioned that. But another thing has just been able to give myself grace. And what I mean by that is if I open my journal and I look and I say, well, man, I just missed two days. I used to, <sighs> again, you blew it again. Here, here, you know, I might as well just quit because I blew it again. And I think that is what happens to a lot of us. I believe that we have an adversary who comes and says, you're a loser, you'll never make it, and God doesn't even want your ugly face around here anymore because you just missed two days in a row of your devotions. And I have learned just to be able to say, new day. I actually saw, somebody, I don't know if it was somebody in here or not, I saw a meme this morning that somebody posted that just said, God, thanks for a new day to get to start over again. And in some ways, and I think that is just so important that we get that. 
Because if you are like me, and I think many of you are, you have, and I'll say you've tried before. I've tried this business of walking with God. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, in fact, maybe I've tried it so many times I just want to give up. Getting to the place where I can give myself grace in that has been huge. Okay? So if you go out of here today and think, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to start having a, a, a time with the Lord each day. And tomorrow morning, everything's gone haywire because it's so cold, the car won't start and everything like that. And you get to the end of the day and you think, oh, great, I blew it the first day. I might as well give up. What I'm saying is if you, if you blew it the first day, try the second day. And if you blow it the second day, try the third day and keep going on that. I think that is so important. You see, thanks. <laughs> And the fans went wild. That She just got more marshmallows in her hot chocolate. If you're watching at home, that's what happened. But honestly, uh, honestly, understand that this high priest, okay, now first of all, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to other religions, I really don't, but when people get brainwashed into the idea that they need a priest to go to God, it drives me crazy. Okay, and I, and I hope people aren't teaching that to people because I think a lot of people sense that. People will come to me, you know, and say, hey, would you pray for me about this? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll pray for you, but you pray about it. There's nothing special about me praying about it. Okay, you pray about it. You have that same access as through Jesus. He is that high priest. So actually, one of the things I want to say to you before we leave today is you do need a priest, but you don't need me. And you don't need somebody who's dressed more like a priest. You need the priest, Jesus Christ, the high priest, and he has made it uh, so that you can know forgiveness and so that you can go directly to God. And may I implore you, may I beg with you again, if the, if the whole idea of walk, having a personal walk with God has been something that continues to elude you, I just want to, don't give up on that. Because that's what this is all about. This is not about us, hey, I'm going to try harder. This is about the fact that God has given me in the person of Jesus Christ new life. And this is this indestructible life. And he is not saying uh, you're dirty and stay away from me. He's saying when you trust in me, I clean you up and come close to me. And that invitation that we sang, that draw me close, that's exactly what the, his, his plea is to us today. He wants us to come close. So leave here today again with a commitment to say this is exactly what I want. I walk, want to walk with him and I want to know him. And if tomorrow I fail, then on Tuesday I want to walk with him and I want to know him. Now, one of the things that we do around here, we call communion, spend time with him, but we have uh, also called the Lord's Supper. Um, I wanted to explain because, you know, I talked about that law and the ritual as never being the avenue to... Uh, to God, it, it can't make us perfect. I want you to know that these elements that we take of bread and juice do not make us perfect. They do not clean us up. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And the church has always followed his example that he did there on the Last Supper uh, and taken the bread to remember of the body that was broken for us. And we take the juice to remember the blood that was shed for us. And in fact, the phrase in Scripture is, this is the new covenant in my blood, and we remember what Jesus has done. And uh, this is not uh, something that is restricted to church members, but in the Scripture, it's, it's for anybody that has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. They believe in Him. They trust Him. And, uh, and that when we're talk so that when we're talking about the body, I believe that Jesus came to this earth in a physical body, 
laid down that life for me. And when we're talking about that blood, we're talking about the fact that Jesus shed his blood. He died paying the penalty for my sin. And if you believe those two things, I want to invite you to just join with me for a minute. And, and during the COVID time, we haven't done it the way we used to. It's, it's a little bit informal. That's why the cups are sitting around. And hopefully, if you want to, you've been able to locate one. I also want to mention, if this is something you're not comfortable doing, please don't. Uh, very, very simply. But if you're like, boy, I very, I very much want to take just a minute and reflect on the cross. If you, are, if you are watching the sermon online, I want to encourage you just to do that for a few minutes of prayer. Just to remember that God came in human form, laid down his life, shed his blood, paid the price for our sin, and thank him for that today. Father, I do thank you for that. I thank you that we can share in this time together. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says that he took the bread and he broke it and he distributed it to his disciples. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. He says, likewise, afterwards he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. Okay, we're remembering what Jesus did to establish this new covenant, this new relationship, this indestructible life. And I cannot get the lid off. I really cannot get the lid off. Hey, thanks. <laughs> but again, Jesus took this and he to his disciples. By the way, remember who was sitting there with him? Remember a guy that's he knew he'd already said it in a few minutes. This guy's going to go out and deny him. Okay, so. I say that because you might be like, well, I'm not really worthy to take this cup. Understand, none of us in and of ourselves are worthy. Okay, we're worthy because of what Jesus did. Okay, he laid down his life and he cleaned us up. And he made it so we can come to him. So Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Again, Father, so thankful um, that we can talk about this new covenant. And Lord, I don't think of Hebrews as being a real easy book to understand and explain. Um, so, boy, I need your help on just taking this message and this truth. Would you isolate, for people even now as I'm praying, would you isolate the message that you brought them here to hear this day? Maybe they need to know that keeping the law will never make a person right with God because they need to trust in Jesus. Maybe they need to know that you cleaned us up to hold us close. But whatever that message is, Lord, would you please drive it home in our hearts right now, I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.